Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Amen. And greeting this Lord's Day in the name above all names, the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Isn't God good? Yes, all the time. He has uh, called us into His presence to worship Him today as His children. He could have called us in just merely as His servants, but instead we've been called today as His sons and His daughters. Amen. Amen. Jesus is King. Everybody say it with me. Not only is he king, he wasn't just was king. He's not just will be king, but he is king right now. King of kings and Lord of lords. Today we, his sons and daughters, his subjects gather under the banner of our king, walking by faith and declaring the good news that the kingdom of God has come. Amen? Amen. David believed this and we believe it too. Hear our call to worship from Psalm 47 as... David, the singer, uh, proclaims before the Lord. He says, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great King over all of the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob whom He loved. God has gone up with a shout, The Lord with the sound of the trumpet, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing to the King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen, and God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to our God, and He is greatly exalted. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. Lord, for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We pray today as we gather in your presence, knowing we are not worthy to do so, but you have made us worthy. Lord, you have covered us in your blood. You have forgiven our sins and you have written our names in the Lamb's book of life. And Lord, today we come before you hungering and thirsting after righteousness knowing that you will fill us. And we pray today that as you speak to us, that you would change us, Lord, that we might be more like you. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said,
once again, as it is our tradition here at Foundation Church. If you haven't gotten your Bible reading in for the week, you got it in now. You heard a lot of God's Word. We're going to hear a lot more today. We're going to be uh, in Psalm 24. We have had an incredible and lovely journey through the book of Psalms, and we're going to keep going until we get to Psalm 150. You guys ready for that? Not all today, though. Don't get scared. Uh, But today we're in Psalm 24. My sermon today is called, Who is the King of Glory? Amen. And it is from, my text today is from Psalm 24 and uh, verses 7 through 10. I'll be teaching the entire psalm. It's not a long psalm, uh, but my text will just be 7 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we thank you, Lord, that you are our King. Lord, we don't have to look to any flawed man. We don't have to look at someone who can let us down. You don't give us hope that we are ashamed of, God. You give us hope that we cannot be ashamed. Lord, you lead us and guide us, Lord, with a perfect word and a perfect understanding and with a perfect love. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Everybody say, Jesus is King. Jesus is King. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the already and the not yet. Together today we are proclaiming these two things, the already and the not yet. We are already saved, right? As we talked about last week in our discussion of reformation and sanctification, God's Word said that before the foundation of the world that God has set these things in place. This is a past tense. What Jesus did when He was on the cross, what did He say? He said, it is, it's finished. He accomplished salvation for all those who would be and will be saved. This is a past tense. What He did on the cross for His bride cannot be undone, and it needs nothing more added to it. It is not as though someone sins a little bit more and somehow we need to go back in time and, and Jesus needs to spill more blood or He needs to stay in the tomb three more days. None like that, right? Everything that was needed for our salvation was accomplished in the past. It is finished. We are saved by God's grace through faith that He has given us once again. God has done this in the past tense. This salvation is available to His people. Not only is it in the past, but it is in the right now, the already. Not are we already saved, past tense, but we are being saved right now in the present tense. The Bible is clear about this. God has saved us, but God is what? He is saving us right now. Um, As we, we know, we also know and believe, and as we were hearing from Revelation 19, there will be a day when we, everybody say, will be saved. Christ is going to come and He's going to 
ride on his white horse and his robe dipped in blood and no more will he be lowly riding on an ass the foal of a donkey but he's going to be coming uh down not not just sitting on the back of an animal that's never been ridden with uh you know uh, the, the, the clothes on of a common man, but he will be wearing the white robes of righteousness. He will ride in with, with a sword coming out of his mouth and fire coming out of his eyes. And there will be alleluias with the sound of lightning. And you know, I was thinking of this just now. I was thinking, what on earth would that be like? <laughs> lightning isn't a sound. It's not, you know, I could, if I went, you know, no one would go that sound like lightning. I mean, I mean, maybe some of you would. But lightning is, is more of an experience than a sound. You know, if we tried to produce it here and I didn't tell you it was coming, some of you might actually pass out. If a lightning bolt came in this room and went boom as loud, how many have had it strike right next to your house? You know, that sound absolutely weakens your entire body when it comes thundering and pounding to the ground. And the Bible says that when Christ comes, there will be the sound of great peals of lightning and at the same time, Andy, hallelujah. Can you, can, can you picture this? I mean, I don't know if we could ever reproduce this. We may scare the church half to death. We may get like gigantic bow speakers in every corner and one day when no one is expecting it, boom, hallelujah. I mean, folks, that's going to be powerful. He's going to come and he won't be singing the songs, uh, whispering song, but he will be riding forth in battle. The Bible says that an angel will stand in the sun. I'm, I mean, can you picture that? An angel is standing in the sun. It's 93 million miles away. It's so hot and blazing with constant nuclear explosions that it lights the world and, and stays burning and has been burning for thousands of years, yet an angel will just go and stand in it. Now, I, don't even, I can't even imagine what this might be like. He calls unto the birds of the air and he says, gather for, the, for your feast is coming. And I'm like, oh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, no, this is not the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the, this is the supper for the buzzards and the ravens and the, to eat the flesh of the people of the earth that God is going to kill. This is a pretty, you know, if, if you're worried about disturbing images for your children, this is a disturbing image. It should disturb you. God's going to kill all of these people. The Bible says that the blood will flow up to the bridle of the horse. And this is in our future. Wow. Not yet, though. Can you see in our proclamation, our recognition of this fact that Jesus is king is also like this. Jesus is king. He was made king. And he's king right now, but he will be king. All of these things, the already and the not yet. It is true that men rule the nations, they run vast corporations, they hold power over others still, and in some places they even still hold the title of king. But wherever they are, they have no right to put a capital K next to their name. I don't care if it's a proper noun or not. There is only one capital K, King of Kings, and one Lord of Lords. You might be the Lord of the House of Commons. You might be the Lord of some place over there in, in England where they have such things. You might be a king in a, in a nation over in Africa somewhere where they still have kings, or even in the Middle East. But let me tell you right now, there's only one king with a capital K, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Others who do hold this title have this kind of power, whether they declare themselves king 
or not. Maybe they are King, you know, Kim Jong Il. He thinks he's a king, but he will soon find out that he is not. At their word, men and women die. And at their word, men and women, as we know, some of them are even Christians, are beaten and are hauled off to prison. And though it may seem in the right now that Jesus is not king, let me tell you, he is king and he will be king and the earth will tremble at the dread of him. These kings, these rulers of the earth, these lords are only lords with a small L. In my sermons over the past four weeks... uh, before we begin our work in Reformation Month on the Reformers, you might remember that all of the past four sermons had a common in the title. Maybe you weren't keeping track, I don't know. But it started with Psalm chapter 20, and it was God saved the king. Remember that? It was a message where David had written a prayer for them to pray for him. He was the king, and he wrote the prayer. Pray for me, God saved the king. Psalm 21 was about the crucifixion of a king, and we call it killing the king. And we know that they did crucify the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and that was God's plan. In Psalm 22, uh, or in Psalm 21, we had prayer of the king, and in Psalm 22, the killing of the king. And in Psalm 23, we learned to do what? To follow our king, right? Yea, thou walk to the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What does God do in the presence of our enemies? He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies and our cup runs over. We've kind of had a little mini-series about kings. And this one, this week, is the end of the five-week series on kings. And it is called, Who is the King? And it is a beautiful praise. Today is the fifth and the last installment of the series. We look at Psalm 24. Dave has what I would call an unequivocal crescendo. He's been saying, following the king, the king has died for you. Pray for me. I'm the king. And all of a sudden he finally gets and he goes, you want to know who the king is? Who's the king? Who's the king? His name's not David. He's not sitting on a throne. He's not a man with bloody hands like me. He's the king of glory. Today we hear this unequivocal crescendo from David. It is an ode to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. As Psalm 23, I nicknamed it not one complaint or one request. It is pure love and thanksgiving from an overflowing heart. As we talked about following the King, Psalm 24 is an announcement of praise with the sounds of the great and royal trumpet. Behold your King! And when you hear Psalm 24, you should hear those long trumpets. Maybe you've only seen them in cartoons. I've never been around one, but when they go, you know, when they blow and they're those blasts of a king and the king comes out in his royal robes, that's what's going on in Psalm 24. David, God's singing king, for so it is attributed to him in the very first verse, declares that the earth, the seas, and all of creation as well as man belongs to God and are the subjects of God himself. As he does this, he affirms, not questions, He's in great rhetorical style as we see him do many other times. He is affirming the greatness of God and the paltriness of everything else and everyone else. If you saw my sermon title, Who is the King of Glory? You will not see a question mark, Steve. (laughs) It's not at the end as though somehow we don't know the answer. It's not a question. It's a great declaration that causes our mind to question who we are. Because I'll tell you what, there is one king, and it isn't me. 
There is one king and it isn't you. Amen? David had no such question in his mind when he wrote the psalm in the same when he wrote Psalm 27, when he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? He wasn't wanting someone to bring him up, someone bigger than Goliath. He wasn't wanting someone to come to challenge him. He didn't think that someone was going to appear and go, I'll show you someone to be afraid of today. He said, No, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He was not wondering who might be out there. He, in his rhetorical statement, was meant to remind us of the absurdity of our fears and in our current psalm, the absurdities of anyone approaching his majesty to bring him down. Nobody could bring him down. Amen. God's not afraid of anyone. So why are we? We're children of the king. As futile as it was for Nimrod and all of these ants piling up sand in an effort to go up to the heavens and reach down and pull, reach up and pull God down, all the attempts and ideas in this world that do their best to exalt themselves above Him, they fall in derision and become the subject of His laughter, as it says in Psalm chapter 2, right? Remember this? David's psalm about the raging heathen. Why do the heathen rage? He wasn't... He was, he was saying, why do they rage? Because their raging is what? It's pointless. Why do the people rage? Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Why indeed? Just like our own worrying. We cannot add one cubit to our stature. Just like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, no amount of raging against God can affect Him, can move Him, can reduce Him one cubit. He is not a man that we can take hold of Him as Samson did. Uh, those cords and, and they took a hold of Samson they had tied him with cords and he broke them they did eventually take hold of Samson and cut his hair there's no taking a hold of God and cutting his hair amen he's God so why do they rage why do the people imagine a vain thing why do the kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying let us break their bands let us cast away their cords from us they only do this to their own harm, not because somehow that it was possible to break the cords that, that God has put around you. Samson was able to break those cords, but you won't be if God bounds you. Strive and struggle against his will all you want. Complain against him if you dare. But like the father, he laughs at the little boy who spars with his dad as though he may hurt him. My little boys come up and they want to they do this and they want to wrestle. And, and I know I just got to hold my hand out here like this, you know. There's my little arms doing this. And I'm just like, you know, I'm like reading a book at the same time, you know. It's, it's not like in my heart I'm like, you know, they're going to get me. Now they do get a little older and they get a shot in and it's, it's, it is true. And, but in that same sense, God laughs at the world that tries its best. It thinks I'm going to get him. I'm going to do something. I'm going to rage against God. And God is just laughing. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh, it says in verse 4, Psalm 2, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. It's humorous that you think you can do it, but it's not funny if you try it. I'll tell you that right now. You rage against God. You dare complain against him. You dare think you can break his cords and his bands. You raise up against God and he might be laughing, but you won't be in the end. So why do we do it? You might say, well, I don't come out against God. I don't try to fight and get. Yes, you do. We get in the middle of our circumstance and we say it's too big. 
We get in our thing and we say, God's not watching. We get in there and we think, you know, this trouble's so messy and so horrible, even God can't unravel it. It's, and we worry and our eyebrows frown and, and we fret and we, we think about it. Oh, what can we do? And we think that somehow all of our fretting and our worry is going to do anything. Why? Because what we're doing is, in a sense, we are, we're going up and we're pulling down God. We're saying, you're not paying attention. You don't have enough power. You don't care. What's going on in my life, you're unaware of it. Why do we think that we are stronger than God? Why do we wish to rule ourselves instead of follow every word and every letter of God's word? Why do we try so hard uh, to rule ourselves? Why is it so hard for us to concede to the sovereign of the universe? He's not threatened by our foolishness, striving against His will. But let me tell you, people of God, we are. Little Nora, we were over at the house, and uh, over at the Narwhal's house, and Brother Tim was talking to little Nora, and, and uh, he said, do you know the Ten Commandments? And, and uh, you know, I kind of thought, well, you know, I think she's only like, what, two? Okay, well, see, I'm really bad with kids' age. I apologize. Nora, really, sorry about that, honey. She's four, okay. So I'm thinking, well, four is still pretty young, you know. Does she know the Ten Commandments? And she spit out, she, and, and I'm thinking, what did she just say? And she's like, oh, I'm like, what did she say? She's like, if you don't obey God's commands, he will crush you. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's, 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 that's pretty good, right? Because isn't that what Jesus said? You think you can disobey God's word, but if you resist his will, what will God do? The Bible says he will crush you to powder. You cannot resist the will of God. You cannot break God's commands. When you think you're breaking God's commands, who is going to be broken by them? We are. The Bible says that's exactly what will happen. You can't violate God. He said, yet if I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. We are scared of them and we think, think somehow God is frightened of them and God says, what do you want for Christmas? I'd like to give you the heathen. I'd like to show you that the world and the fullness is mine and you're my children and you have the power. The Bible says that as the church, all things are under whose feet? They're under our feet, but we don't walk around. We walk around like we're scared. And God looks at us, Brother Tim, like, what are you scared of? Yes. Pastor Nang, in this book I'm writing about Pastor Nang, he lived with his uncle. His uncle was a, a tough guy. His uncle was an athletic guy. And he would go in rings and he would fight like six men at one time. Pretty tough guy, right? And Pastor Nang was this real little guy. If you've met him, right? He comes up to about right here, right? And he goes, when I was little, he said, he said I wore these red wristbands. And he said, and I used to walk around like this. He said, because everyone, when I went, they scattered from me. And he said, and I thought it was because I was tough. He goes, I didn't know they knew my uncle would beat them up. He said, I just went around like this, you know, you know. And he said, on my shoulder, I'd push him out of the way, you know, you know. And this is what we are. There is, we, we should never be proud before God, but we need to be, we need to understand the power of the God of the universe that he is ours. He's our king. We're his sovereign. And as we obey him and as we're doing his will, we have nothing to fear. The Lord is the strength of our life. Of whom shall we be afraid? Ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. 
Brother Tim's been talking to us about business and about dominion, and, and we think, oh, this must be allegorical. Really? God doesn't own the theoretical cattle on a thousand hills. He owns them all. He owns the hills and the cows on the hills and the people who think they own the cows on the hills. Amen? Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. And I would add in here today, be wise, people of Foundation Church, those of you who are under my voice today. Be instructed. God is king over all of the earth right now. Amen? Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. Amen. Psalm 24. David declares the already and the not yet of this truth and others in his brazen boasts of the greatness of God. He's not just bragging arbitrarily he has the rights to brag and so do you you have the rights to smile and to not shrink back and to stand with your shoulders squared and proclaim the good news that jesus christ is lord of heaven and earth and that he's watching and that he cares because it's true psalm 24 starting in verse 1 a psalm of david the earth is the lord's if we needed another reminder the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He doesn't just say the earth and cake. That's what, if, if the kind of theologians we were, we'd say, well, the earth is, but not all the stuff, of course. But he says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In the Hebrew, that means everything. As brother, as brother Tim was telling us a while back, the everything means everything, right? The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. In case you thought it was just the stuff, it's not just the stuff. It's the stuff and the people. He hath founded it upon the seas, and he hath established it on the floods. God is not in creation in the sense that his mighty winds can blow him. Or shake, when the earth shakes in an earthquake, somehow it causes him to tremble. If Satan could cast a mountain into the sea, as God says our faith can, God would not be troubled by it. He would not put his hand over his heart and oh, fear, oh, what's the devil doing today? God would not be troubled. The white hot heat of nuclear explosions from hydrogen bombs and nuclear explosions, man's very greatest accomplishments of destruction is not somehow awesome in the eyes of God. The earth is his possession like a bouncy ball in the pocket of a little boy. He does what he wants with it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, everything in it and everything on it. And every one of you, that includes every man, woman, child, we all belong and under the sovereign care of the mighty king of glory. Folks, that should give you comfort. You know, when we think that we're the king and we think it all depends on us, I'll tell you what, when I used to believe like that, it, and I kind of followed all that, that was pretty scary. I'm not scared anymore. To understand that God is in charge and that he loves me and that he goes before me. That he prepares the way. That he governs. Man, that makes it, that makes it not so scary. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. We could get into the science of what we find here in this poetry about planet earth. And, and as we would find, and as Brother Tim, we were talking about, every word of God is pure, you know. 
So if you're, a, if you're a geologist or if you're someone that studies plate tectonics, I guarantee you, if you drill all the way down and you figured out, you'd figure out the science behind that God has established the earth on the seas. I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I don't know exactly how it works. But I guarantee if we wanted to, we could do that. But, but if we truly understood the earth, we could see how God had founded it. And I pray one of you kids figure this out. Make that the science. Write a book about it. Show everyone how what God's word says in this psalm is true and that every man is a liar. But what David is doing here, I am sure of. I may not know uh, the science to talk about it for an hour and get you excited about the science. I don't know the science, but I do know what he is doing here. We are tempted to frit away our days in contemplation, believing that all of our worry and our care and all of our strength and attention is greater than God's power. More than his care. And what David is doing here is he's reminding us of who we are and who God is. If he can keep track of the numbers of the hairs on our head and he even sees the spare that falls to the ground, how can we imagine that he needs our help? How can we believe that our situation will slip through the cracks of his attention or that we will care more about it than he can? I remember being in Myanmar and, and being troubled by the need over there, the poverty and the difficulty. And I remember thinking, God has laid this on me and there's nothing I can do about it. But go home and be sickened by the thought that there our brothers and sisters in Christ are hungry every day. And God had to remind me that he was watching them before I knew where Myanmar was. I tried to talk to Pastor Ning. I said, what would happen? If I got ran over by a truck, who would provide for you now? Because I've raised up all the support. And he goes, Pastor Mark. He said, the God who has all things, that's who will provide for me. The same one who's providing for me right now. You think that you're doing it, but you're not. God is. And he said, I'm so glad to know you. But I knew the God who has all things before I ever knew you. Thank God for Pastor Nate. Job was made to reckon in Job 38 in the same way. Hearing about creation and who God is in relation to it can shock us out of our foolish notions of our own greatness. We do this. We, we're wise. We're smart. you know, And, and we're going to explain to God how He doesn't really understand how things work. i gotta, I got to do all of this stuff. God is saying, no, what you need to do is seek first the kingdom of God. What you need to do is trust in me. What you need to do is not worry about tomorrow. That's what you need to do. And we go, no, 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 no. If I don't worry about tomorrow, then things aren't going to work out. So what God does is he tells us who he is to shock us out of our foolishness. Those of us who think that God is not watching, that he does not care, that we know better than he does, need to hear Job 38. You ready to hear it? How many of you have worried and thought that your worry matters more than it probably does. Job. In Job 38. He says the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And he said this. He said who is this? <laughs> who is this that darkens counsel by words and knowledge? Who, who is this? He says gird up your loins like a man. Yeah you're a man. I'm reminding you of what you are. And I'm going to demand an answer of you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare it. Tell me where you were. The man doesn't even know where he was. Where were you? Oh, I was an idea inside of an idea inside of an idea in the, in the molecules of the, the past. 
Man, he couldn't even answer. Where, where were you? Why don't you, if you know where you were, Brother Job, tell me where you were when I laid the foundations of the earth. And so what does man have to do when he hears that? You're like, I don't know. I don't know where I was. In fact, I don't know anything. Immediately, as God requires us to consider this question, we realize we don't have the answer to most of the questions that we have. He says in verse 5, Who has laid the measures thereof? Do you know? <laughs> Who has stretched the line upon it? God. Can't... These are a lot of question marks from God. You know, when people ask questions, it's one thing. When God asks a question, He knows the answer to the question, right? Where are the foundations? What are they fastened to? Who laid the cornerstone? God is asking. Every word of God is pure. And He doesn't let up. Just not like, did you make the world? Oh no, He's going to get into the details. Verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you then? What's Job doing about now? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Really? Who shut up the sea with the doors when it breaks forth as if it had issued out of a womb? When I made the cloud the garment thereof and thick darkness is swaddling for it and I break up for my decreed place and I set bars and doors and I said to the water, hitherto you shall come but no further and you proud waves be stayed right here. Have you commanded the morning since the days and caused the day spring to know its place? Folks, this goes on. For a whole chapter. I'm only in verse 12. It goes on and on and on. You see David is declaring. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. He's asking the question. Who is the Lord of glory? So that you can answer it. Because what you need to come to answer. And what should fill your heart with praise and comfort and joy. And cause your hands to shoot to the sky. Who is the Lord of glory? It's not me. It doesn't depend on me. David asks another question, one that can be answered, but in a sense is also part of this unansweredness. It's kind of a dual thing here. Verse 3, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Now, of course, when we talk about, we talked about the Tower Battle a few minutes ago, who could go into heaven and pull God down, right? We, we know that, that nobody could do that, right? Who could stand before the Lord, before the holiness of God? And we know that nobody can. But what he's reminding David that God has allowed us to do just that. David's question is not a question as if there is an answer that should say no one, because really no one is the answer. No one's going to climb up and bring Jehovah God or challenge Him. No one, much less climb up and challenge Him, not even just go up there. Who shall stand? Really, who could even stand? That's, who could remain standing in the brightness of His presence? When angels appear by the Andy, men do what? When a blazing angel that could stand in the sun, if He appeared before you, do you think you'd go, how you doing? We know what happens when this happens. In the Bible, these people fall flat. And they have to go, get up. You're not laying before me. I'm just a created being like you. And you're like, it's like the sun itself has appeared. You know, you're like, wow. You know? And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm nothing. I'm just like you. I was made. In fact, I'm here to serve you on behalf of this great God. David had a question with an answer here, though. He wanted to know what kind of people are allowed to come before the presence of God. 
We begin to see David directing our attention to the tabernacle where God was said to dwell above the cherubs of the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It is where the tabernacle was set up at this time when this is being written here. Behind the walls made of fabric, of material, not brick and mortar, there was the holy furniture of God's house. There was the brazen altar and the brazen labor in the outer court. And in the holy place, we have the altar of incense. We have uh, the, the menorah, the, the great candlestick that showed forth the light of God. And we had the table of showbread that represented so many things. The food of, of heaven, the word of God, the, the bitterness of its truth and, and the sustenance for our lives. But inside the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was and the mercy seat. All of this was there on this holy hill in the Bible. Uh, and God had said, I will put my name here and I will dwell here. David was calling the congregation to remembrance how God had said he would put his name there and he would live there. This would be God's holy hill. And yet, as we will see shortly, David envisioned another place. David is doing the already and the not yet because what David begins to talk about wasn't there. There was no temple. There were no gates. There were no doors. All there was was material, fabric, and furniture. There was no permanent building. He wanted to build it, but you might remember God would not allow him to do that. The tabernacle was made of badger skins and many different woven material that represents so many incredible things that take us all day just to even get started. But it had no doors, no grand gates. But it would. David, whose heart rejoiced, he saw this as a prophet of God as he began to sing. He began to see the already in the not yet. We'll get to that in verse 7. But in verse 4, he says, who, who, who's going to be able to go there? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. David understood that those that stand before God must be holy, not just in their appearance, but in their words and in their deeds and even in their thoughts, in their attitudes. This should put a great deal of fear in your hearts. It's a high standard, one that we could spend a great deal of time on. And you can go through the, the actions of the clean hands, the pure heart. The humility, not lifted up your soul in vanity, the keeping of the vows. God wanted a, the people that could stand before the Lord needed to be holy. Verse 5 says, that man shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation, right? We remember this from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that does what? He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his what? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He's reminding of the blessed man of Psalm 1. He's saying that this man shall be blessed in all of his deeds, those that love God's law, those whose uh, God's law did not just affect what we did and what you could see, but it even affects our hearts. Yes. It even affects our minds and our covetousness is a sin of the heart. Yes. 
He says in verse 6, This is the great generation of them that seek Him, they that seek Thy face, O Jacob. And then in verse 7, he says something that if, you, if you're just not thinking about where David was in his life right now, you'll miss it. But he says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. You see, there were no doors and there were no gates. But David saw them. In the same sense that Christ is king and we look around and maybe it doesn't seem like he is. It seems like, you know, I don't know the names, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Mr. Bezos and the Googles and the whatever. And the who are all these people, right? I can't remember which ones are dead or alive. The Soroses or the Waltons or the, I don't know, all Sam, whoever they are. The Walton. It seems like they run more than they run. It seems like they're in charge of more they are in charge of. But David's, David is calling on us to see the not yet. You see, what Brother Tim was talking to us about today is that when we go and we take fatherless children into our home, we declare the lordship of Christ over them and we say, you know what, we're going to teach this child and we're going to show him the love of Christ, and we're going to teach him the commands of God, and we're going to raise him to fear God. Amen? Someone say, that's not so great. Oh, yeah. You see, that's something we can do. We can't, we can't speak and, and, and cause a sun to blaze in the heavens, but we can certainly speak to our children when they rise up, when they lie down, when they walk by the way, when they sit in the house. We can tell them, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We can help them introduce them to the God of glory who doesn't need them to be great, but that we must have faith in Him to believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Amen? And that's what we do. And we go, well, how powerful is that? That's as powerful as we need to be. The, gr the grass withers. The flower fades. And that's all we are. We, our life is a vapor and we're here for a little while. And somehow through this vapor that is so powerless, that's so weak. I was telling Brother Tim how strong I used to feel. I used to look at everybody on moving day, these lazy bunch of heathens. I'm lifting everything. And, and, and people would say they had back trouble and I would go, yeah, back trouble. What that means is you're lazy. That's what I used to say. Until God saw fit... To smash my L2. And now I can't even hardly lift my Bible. You know, that did not slow up what God is doing. It wasn't like I had the ability to carry a load. The Bible says that in my weakness, He is strong. In fact, His strength is perfected in me in my weakness. And so coming to understand the great God of heaven... That we're to lift up our heads, O ye gates, lift up you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Reminds us that the King of glory, who is He? And He gets to this, who He is. Who is He? Everybody say, it's not me. David asks and answers this question in verse 8. Who is the King of glory? And the answer is great. I mean, don't you feel overwhelmed, Jason, when you're trying to help your mom and you're helping your grandma and you're trying to work your job, you're just living your life. You're like, well, how much of me is there? And you know what? Enough. Whatever you got, brother. He answers the question. He says, let me tell you who he is. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty 
in battle. You see, David believed in him. David didn't believe in himself when he went before Goliath in the valley of Elah. He said, you come to me with sword and spear, and I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. You're the one that needs to tremble because here I come. I don't have any armor. You can hit me. I don't have a sword in my hand, but I'm going to cut your head off if i got to use your sword. That's how we ought to be, folks. We don't need to be nine foot six. We don't need to have a, a spear like a weaver's beam. We don't need to be impressive, these scary boys calling out. No, there's somebody like that in the heavens, and it's not you and me. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And just in case you forgot what he said in verse 10, he asks it again. Who is the king of glory? And he repeats it. The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Isn't that a beautiful proclamation of praise? Isn't that a great reminder for us today? May we lift up our heads. May we open up the gates of our life. And may we have the king of glory come in. Maybe we we be reminded today that it doesn't depend on you. That your weakness is not something to fret about, but it is an opportunity. As it says, the prophet Isaiah said, Sing, O barren one, that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For many more are the children of the barren than she which hath an husband. Benita, you may look at your life and say, I could maybe adopt some children if I had a husband or if I had money or if I had whatever. And God says, I have just what you need. I have just what you need. Sing, O barren one that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For many more are the children of the barren. What in the world could that mean? It means that in our lack, in our weakness, in our impotence, in our failure, God says, that's all I need is you. And I'm going to work with you and I'm going, to, I'm going to share my glory with you. I'm going to take the weak things of the world and confound the wisdom of the wise so that no flesh can glory in my presence. Yeah. Folks, that is the message of Psalm 24. Can we rejoice together in that? Yes. Amen. Let us say thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have reinforced and affirmed this incredible and powerful truth in our minds and and knocked us off the balance of our own pride today, reminding us that you are the King of glory, mighty in battle, strong where we are weak, O God. Lord, we are thankful today to be reminded of that because if we were to trust in our own strength, in our own chariots, in our own horses, most of us don't even have any anyway. And Lord God, we wouldn't have anything that we could boast in today but we can boast in you not only can we boast in you but we can boast in the stripes in the afflictions and the difficulties because according to your word you have through these things these weak and beggarly elements of the world chosen to bring forth your glory to the children of men oh use us your people to bring glory in the earth today in christ's name we pray and all god's people said Amen, 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 amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity 
to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.